Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, Editor-in-Chief of The Cut. For the next few weeks, I'll be taking over this feed and talking to people we at The Cut love and admire or just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path, what got in their way, and how they think about bringing others along now that they've arrived. Our guest this week is Desiree Rogers. I first heard about Desiree as Obama's social secretary, where she made a splash not only by turning the president's vision of the People's House into a reality, but also stepping out in a Comme des Garcons gown for her first date dinner. In 2010, she left public office to oversee Fashion Fair Cosmetics, Jet and Ebony magazines as the CEO of Johnson Publishing Company, which required her to navigate an entirely different world from the political one. Now she's co-owner of Fashion Fair and CEO of Black Opal, a makeup and skincare line created by and for Black women. Today, we talk about what it was like working in the Obama White House, the joys and challenges of revitalizing the iconic brand Fashion Fair, and the future of the Black beauty industry. Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latinx culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latinx minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. You've probably already gotten your first bug bite of the season. But itch is way more than skin deep. I thought that all it was telling us was how do we sense something outside of our body. But it's teaching us how we sense Everything, not just outside of our body, not just the five senses, but a thousand senses. This week on Unexplainable, scientists have barely scratched the surface of itch. So how deep does it go? Listen to Unexplainable for new episodes every Wednesday. Hi, Desiree. Thank you so much for joining us. I am so delighted to join you today. Can't wait to talk. Very excited about this. I used to go to the... um, Ebony fashion fair shows growing up, so we we have a, a lot to discuss. <laughs> wow. That is an amazing historic experience for all of us. <laughs> I wish I would have been a little older. I was very I was very young, but I was totally a brat and made my mom like get a limo and like the whole thing. <laughs> you see there? <laughs> you knew about the glamour and the you know the fashion early on. <laughs> Too early. Of course you needed a limo. Why not? You had a great mom that did all that for you. (laughs) I did. I do. She's wonderful. So tell people about, I mean, I personally grew up knowing so much about Black Opal Fashion Fair. Where did the ideas, the name, all of that come from for Black Opal? We have a, a team and we sit around and we think through the names. And so we have a lot of fun thinking about names that are representative of our community that are part of pop culture. So for example, we have a new eye palette called Fairy Glam Mava. <laughs> and so that is just a twist, a black twist on mother. And everyone, you know, has their godmother in our communities. And so we just like to have fun with it. And we never want people to feel like it's a number 
you know, you're number 200, you know, it's like, no, what's the name of my shade? So for that, that's an important part of the overall brands and how we think about them. Was there a key moment for you when you felt like Black Beauty was really, you know, becoming something that everyone was talking about and obviously a conversation that you felt like you needed to be part of and and wanted to be part of in a larger way? You know, I guess it goes in in segments, right? It goes in, in, in decades. And for me, as a Black woman, I never doubted my beauty or the beauty of all my Black sisters. And so I didn't need permission to really think about this top of mind. I'm a Black woman every day of the week. And so I'm thinking about whatever my beauty regimen is going to be. It could have been just a lip gloss and a mascara. It could be something that is more intense than that. But it's always top of mind. And so I'm excited about this new revelation for some people that suddenly Black is incredible. Well, we always knew that. So welcome over to our side. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with that. But I, it wasn't a revelation for me. You know, I, I love Black. You know? Yeah. So I'm delighted that I just happened to be sitting at a point in time where this has become for some more relevant, more rejoiced in, more like, oh, let's have more Black girls instead of just one or two. I guess as a person, though, who has been in it for a while, how did you feel when everyone, you know, got on a woke train and wanted to start to talk about Black beauty um, and wanted to start to, you know, have, you know, all these conversations that I think, you know, were presented in a bit of a surface level way. But as someone who's been part of this for a very long time, how did that feel to you? I think there are a couple of things. So I would be remiss to not say that's encouraging. Okay, I'm not over the moon, but it's encouraging. I think what is important is that we don't lose sight of what does that really mean in terms of growing our businesses and making certain that we have products that we want and need in the marketplace for us. I'm thrilled that there's so many independent companies that are owned or founded by women that look like us. Let's make certain that they're supported and that they can grow in significant ways and not be a flash in the pan. And so it's great to have all this PR associated with, wow, look at all these brands. That's the first part, but where's the support? How do we ensure that they're successful? You know, and how do, and and a lot of that takes cash and money. And maybe that takes doing business a little bit differently than how we would do business if in fact we were part of multi, you know, multinational conglomerates. So I think, you know, we have to think about things a little bit differently in terms of ensuring 10 years from now, all of us that are out here are still out here and have been able to grow these businesses and really create some real wealth for our communities overall. I hear you. Proof is in the pudding. Did you feel like in conversations around bringing Fashion Fair back, that investors or, you know, people involved in the industry were really open to it and really excited? Like, what did you feel like those conversations were since, I mean, I grew up with Fashion Fair and had such a familiarity and love with it. But I I think that the experience of, you know, obviously growing up with such an iconic brand as, as a younger Black woman, it felt like, oh, like, I missed this. Like, I'm very excited. But was that the overall reaction? And, and what was that like, especially in, in the boardrooms? So we weren't looking for permission from the industry. 
we were looking for <clears throat> advice, counsel, best thoughts from people that had supported Fashion Fair for so many years, and then people that potentially might support Fashion Fair in coming years. And how do you balance the requirements and the thoughts, wishes of both of those groups? Because in some respects, it's very different. And so we literally put up on the board, this is what people are saying that have experienced the brand, used the brand, love the brand, know the brand, part of their everyday ritual. And here are people that maybe kind of know are people that don't know anything. So is there a way to take all of that and relaunch this brand that is so iconic, so American, happened to be developed by a Black couple? How do we take all of that and launch into, you know, into the marketplace? And so I took a step back and I said, what? It's not 1973, which is the original year that Fashion Fair was launched, but it is 2021. What would Mrs. Johnson do? How would she think about this? She was such a trailblazer, such a trendsetter. What does Fashion Fair look like in 2021? And you have to take the noise out of your head. This one's doing that. That one's doing this. This one's doing that. It's not about copying. It's about reclaiming that position that we once had in 1973, being that trailblazer, you know, being a little bit different. And so what does that look like for Fashion Fair? All of the products are vegan. That's amazing. What would you say is the most common, whether it be issue or thing that you hear Black women say that they they want Black Opal or Fashion Fair to, to solve or to, to be of guidance for? Let's start with skincare. I mean, what are our issues? We want to fade spots. Another is just we because we're a darker skin tone, you can really see the sloughing off of the skin better known as ashiness in the Black community. And so you want to make certain that that skin is, is being sloughed off and that your skin looks as bright as possible. Not light, but bright, that you have that glow. You have that glow right now. I don't know if it's the lighting or good skincare, <laughs> but you don't look dull. Your skin does not look dull. The skincare is not the lighting in here. <laughs> so we want to make certain that people don't look dull. And then the third is actually pores. People complain that my pores look really big and I'd like to have those pores look smaller so that I have a smoother, more level complexion. And so that's skincare in a nutshell. Then the real, real issue we know is I cannot find my shade match in a foundation or a powder. So skincare issues and then I want that perfect foundation that's perfect for me. I don't want to look like I have a mask on. I love that there's so much history with Fashion Fair and Jed and Ebony um, in Chicago. I'm actually from Milwaukee, so not very far. Not far. <laughs> yeah. What would you want people to understand about that history of Black beauty, you know, especially being in Chicago? There's so much rich history about um, just the Johnson Publishing Company overall. And I'm just interested to hear what, what you would want to, to share with people who don't have as, as much of knowledge around it. Sure, 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 sure. So listen, I'm from Louisiana, and that's a whole different look and feel of how girls pull themselves together 
in Louisiana. It's a very different look. So when I moved to Chicago, I was really taken aback because I was like, wow, look at these haircuts. Look at this, you know, these looks, the lashes, the eye makeup, the bronzers, the blushes. I just saw a whole nother look in terms of, especially in, you know, in the workplace. I mean, these ladies, Chicago women were pulled together head to toe. And I think that certainly was part of, you know, the Johnson's legacy in the city of Chicago. I mean, you did not step out without your, you know, your fashion fair and your makeup pulled together. You would be shamed. I think that, and no, that fashion fair was born out of the fashion, glamour, and beauty of Black women. That's what it stood for. None of this, oh, my lips are too big. I can't wear red or plum or purple or orange. I mean, just amazing shades. Nothing was off limits. And so that's how I think about the fashion fair that was. They had nail polish. They had lashes. They had everything. They had body lotions. They had everything done in a way that really was embracing our community. You know, and so this whole idea of being fearless in your beauty and really, you know, going for it. They went for it. And so that's part of, uh, I think, the legacy and part of what we are slowly but surely working through one step at a time. I mean, obviously, you've had such an amazing career. What was that transition like going from working in the White House for the Obamas to now switching gears and doing, I think, a lot of similar things for Black people in a a general sense, but obviously very different title and and working, you know, in, in beauty and all of that? I think working in the Obama White House gave me the courage to say I was enough. I had studied enough. I had worked in enough large companies to feel like I had enough knowledge and experience to be able to walk into my community and work in businesses that were geared towards my community. I gave myself the permission to not to feel like I wasn't going to fail my community that I was okay, I was good enough, and that I was going to take a chance on myself in businesses that supported people like me. And so that was a huge step coming out of the White House. I didn't have that confidence before that experience at the White House. I just didn't. I was like, I got to study more. I need to know more. I don't know enough. Da-da-da. You know, what if I fail? My mom will be really sad. You know, my family, they'll all know because I'm in my community now. And so I came out much more um, uh, empowered to make the move. And I was lucky enough to secure a position at Johnson Publishing, first as a consultant and later as the CEO, really working with them to try to help them work through what they had there in terms of their media assets, their archive and and cosmetics. And that's where I, I kind of fell in love with the opportunity to work on cosmetics for, you know, people that looked like me. But also it really is a security blanket. Having been a bit insecure myself, I knew like, you know what, I feel a little bit better if I think I look pretty good. Not if someone else thinks I look pretty good, but if I think I look pretty good. And I, you know, I I know what that gives anybody. People may not admit it, but if you think you look pretty good, I just think you're a little bit smarter that day. You're not pulling and work. My mother used to say, why are you wearing that? You keep pulling at it and if you can't own it when you walk out the door, don't wear that. That's a distraction to you and you're not going to be at your best. And she's right. 
You know, and so just having the confidence we need as black women to get out there every day, it's not easy. No matter what they like, you're the black. I've heard it all. That's great. Doors are opening. I'm happy about that. But once we get in that door, it's still not easy. And so anything, any little edge I can get, if it's my my nuditude lipstick, I'm happy to have that edge that makes me feel comfortable to be able to do a presentation that I have to do and to get people to support the two brands and the communities that I represent. You know, I'm like, girl, you looked good in that nudity. They got to listen. <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, what was it like? Um, and, and I'm curious if you ever had any conversations around um, beauty or would, you know, I think from obviously from an outside point of view, see how people would talk about the beauty of black women or talk about the beauty of Michelle Obama or how black women are supposed to look, all of that. And I'm curious of what that experience was like and and how you felt, because I also feel like the way that people talk about black women in the public eye, you know, it can be very condescending and it can, I feel like we are upheld to just unrealistic expectations and a lot of things that are that are really unfair. But I'm curious if you ever had any conversations around beauty with Michelle Obama or what you were noticing around conversations and the way that people, you know, talked about beauty while you were there. Sure. And I don't want to dig up too many old stories and create anything that's too crazy. But here's what I would I would say. I would say certainly I was there early on in the administration and Washington can be a really tough place for anybody. And they have, they, Washington, has certain rules around what should a first lady wear? What shouldn't she wear? You know, what's appropriate? What's not appropriate? Really not taking into account anything about a person's style or who they are. You know, and that's tough. And difficult. And there were many discussions around what could be worn, what couldn't be worn, et cetera. You can read back in some of the old old profiles, et cetera. I mean, the biggest, I think, discussion we had was whether or not she should be on the cover of Vogue. You know, and there's some people that said, no, the country was in the middle of a downturn. How could she be on the cover of Vogue? And some of us around the table was like, how can she not be on the cover of Vogue? Do you not understand what this represents for little black girls all across America to see someone that looks like them on the cover of Vogue? We can't take that away. At that point in time, you know, it may seem like because she's, you know, had so many experiences and, and accomplishments. Now we're talking 10 plus years later But at the time, we were like, this is more than just a cover. Stop it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it definitely way more. And so fighting for that, it was tough at the time. And sometimes you would doubt yourself and they're like, oh, my God, maybe that's not right. But you know what? I think we can see 10 plus years later, she did okay. (laughs) Look at all the people that have been inspired, both black and white. And so I just think that sometimes you just... When you're in the battle, it's it's difficult and it takes years to get out to that other side and really see like you know, probably what was happening at that point was the right move to make. Speaking of magazines, I mean, what what do you think is the role of Ebony and Jet? You know, some historical black magazines that have been around forever. How do you see their role in the larger magazine scale now? As I mean, I think media has just vastly changed in the past 10 years. And, and where do you see that going in the future? Yes. Well, they're under new management now. I think, again, you know, historical, you know, history 
of these publications. And I think you you see them bringing things back like, um, I forget what it's called. It's something dish, weekly dish or in the dish or, I mean, date with a dish. They were really making up actual meal, but that was all about, you know, creating this great meal, you know, this great African-American meal, I'll call it, if there is such a thing. But that old fashioned way of I've got a date with a dish, meaning like a really cute girl, you know, she's a dish, very 50s. But I think I think bringing that back date with a dish is just so cool. And that's why I say what's old is new. Right. Bringing back these eyeshadows, you're going to be like, wow. I mean, just the colors are like, you know, they work back in the 70s. They'll work today. And so that cycling, that taking that history in and kind of freshening it up. So I think that what's old can be new as long as you refresh. You have to refresh and you have to be reasonable in terms of assessing what the competition is and really ensuring that you, in fact, are willing to expend the capital, the work to create something that is different from the competition and something that consumers want. If the consumers don't want it, it's not going to work, you know? And so I can sit here, you know, saying fashion fair is amazing and it was great. It's great. And if you don't think it's great and you don't buy it, it doesn't really matter. The good news is I think we're at a point in time where younger generations are really saying, I want to understand my history. I want to maintain that history I want to be a part of making certain that that history gets to the next generation. And they're taking real ownership of their history in a way that they haven't before. And maybe that's because of Ancestry.com. Maybe it's because of feeling like the world's on tilt. What can I hold on to? At least I have my history. Families are so different now. You don't necessarily have all your cousins and aunties and grandmothers all around you. And so you're gravitating towards, well, let me just, you know, no one's here with me as I venture into New York City on my own. Let me at least have my history. Let me at least go to places where maybe there are other people coming to New York from all cities and they have a similar upbringing that I have, that we all use, you know, in New Orleans, it's Heinz ketchup or or Crest toothpaste or Tied soap, you know, there's something that gives us that like unity to say, I got you. I understand you. Your mama's like my mama. I get it. They're not here now, but I got that history. So I think there's something to be said for younger generations really wanting to hold on to their history. And I watch my young daughter and she is much more into her history than I was at that age. Because she didn't grow up around. I, it was right down the street from me. My grandmother was around the corner. Right. So it's just a different, a different way of, of thinking about things that I think for these historic brands like an Ebony and a Jet, there is an opportunity as long as you weave that history into what people want today. So take a a young Black person that's wanting to get into beauty now. Like, what would you tell them? What do you wish that you would have known when you started? Send me your resume, honey. (laughs) (laughs) What would I tell? You know, listen, I think that, you know, there's certain industries, beauty being one of them, where there are not enough people that look like us in the industry. 
And so I think there needs to be many more faces that look like ours in the industry at every level of these companies so that they understand the issues associated with our skin, our point of view, all of these things. We have a a wealth of knowledge to share that can be part of the early in the process, the development of the product. You know, are you sampling that product on skin tones that look like mine? You know, do you, you know, are you taking into consideration some of the issues associated with my skin at the beginning, not at the tail end? You know, and so I think that, you know, my advice would be not to give give up, to really try to get the best job that you can get. And I know that sounds like, oh, what does that mean? Don't just grab something, you know, try a few few places. And also there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Don't be afraid to start with an entrepreneur in beauty, someone that maybe is supporting beauty, you know, whether it be public relations, it could be legal, it could be product development. There are a lot of companies that support beauty as opposed to thinking I have to go to this big firm or that big firm. If you really want to learn beauty, I think sometimes it is good to go to a smaller firm may not be on the product side. So think wide, think wide, don't think narrow. And I'm just curious, I mean, what are you excited about for the future? What are you excited about looking forward to, whether it's certain trends or certain products or just in the industry overall? Bigger than that, I'm excited about building a company that is going to be of scale that is for our people. So I'm excited about the potential opportunity to build something that really does impact our community in a significant way through jobs, through partnerships with other companies that are supporting us, through excitement of our our consumers, investing back in our communities, whether it be a scholarship or anything else that we invested in entrepreneurism in Chicago in a significant way. I'm excited about what we can do if we are successful and we will be successful. I feel it. I know that we're not going to, our people are not going to just let this down and we will see our own power and what we can control by, in fact, supporting black businesses. We've yet really to see that at a big level, at a large level. We have a few of them, right? And we have many people that aren't necessarily business people, but are in the arts, I'm going to call entertain, and what they can do when they have capital to be able to support their communities. There's no reason why we can't do that with business. This just happens to be the cosmetics business. So that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about creating millionaires among the, the businesses that support our business. And many of them are run by women that look like me. That's what I'm excited for. I'm excited for that potential. Very excited for all of these things. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. No problem. In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner. Our producer and editor is Kylie Holloway. Our engineer is Brandon McFarlane, and our executive editor is Hannah Rosen. The Cut is made possible by the excellent team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today to support their work at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Lindsay Peoples-Wagner. Thank you so much for listening.